and welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I am your aptly named host and the podfather of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with us. I'd be hit with Bira Fringens if you lit me up with the idea that you missed this week's show. Kate, our associate producer, what is up this week? Hey, Tony. It's donor retention. The challenges are real and widespread. Aging donors, smaller gifts, and abysmal retention rates. Dennis Foie brings strategies and tactics to raise your consciousness and turn things around. Let's talk about emotional connections, multi-threading, and being multi-channel, just for starters. He is CEO of Bloomerang. On Tony's Take Two. It's September 11th. We're sponsored by DonorBox. Outdated donation forms blocking your supporters' generosity? DonorBox. Fast, flexible, and friendly fundraising forms for your nonprofit, DonorBox.org. And by Kila. Grow revenue, engage donors, and increase efficiency with Kila, the fundraiser's CRM. Visit Kila.co to join the thousands of fundraisers using Kila to exceed their goals. Here is Donor Retention. It's a genuine pleasure to welcome Dennis Foie to Nonprofit Radio. He is CEO of Bloomerang. He's had a broad international career spanning more than 25 years, developing and leading high-performing multicultural teams in the technology, customer experience, relationship management, and financial services sectors. He's on LinkedIn, and the company is at bloomerang.co. Dennis Foy, welcome to Nonprofit Radio. Thanks very much for having me on, Tony. Pleasure, pleasure. And uh, where are you uh, speaking from? I'm speaking from Carmel in California. Carmel, California. All right. Uh, and the, the the business is in uh, Indianapolis, is that right? We originally started in Indy, and um, as I think a lot of uh, technology companies post pandemic has ended up all over the place. So we are very much scattered around the U.S. We are uh, remote, uh, so most of our employees work from home, and then we we work together uh, when we meet, we have events around that. But uh, I want to mention about 30% of our employees in India and the rest outside of India nowadays. Okay, okay. And it sounds like you're intentional about getting the team together in person. Is that, you find that, uh, we're, we're, we're digressing from our main topic, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested and I think listeners are too. You, you, you find that important for a, for a, a, a virtual team? Super important. And I think um, you have to be very intentional and deliberate about it. I, I mean, I'm one of those people that um, as we all went into the pandemic and we had to do certain things that were just basically necessary, I did want to take some learnings out of it because we did learn a lot. I, you know, I, I was an office rat <laughs> before the pandemic, first in, first, last out. And I sort of noticed a few things during the pandemic that were actually very pleasurable. And I think it doesn't work for every company, but if you think, take ours, for instance, we work for small to mid-sized nonprofit organizations all around the U.S. 
What's really cool is, is that if you have your employees all around the US, you can actually give some time for employees to do something locally. And, you, and that opens doors so you can create a better connection. We now have employees everywhere. So if there's a customer, you know, I've had, I've got a customers here in Carmel. I didn't, I didn't know that. So now we can connect. We can meet for a coffee. I can do some, I'm actually volunteering some with a local uh, dog rescue. So it creates this sort of more um, emotional connections. Folks can pick up their children from school. It's a, it's a, it adds an interesting layer to your company that in my opinion can create a deeper connection with employees and potentially higher retention rate. So I'm not, you know, there is a, there is a shrewd business side to this too, right? Um, that is that employee, we talk about donor retention today, but employee retention is a topic too. Yeah. And um, uh, embracing some of the learnings that we've taken away rather than going back to an old model seems to me, uh, it feels like the right thing to do. So we, we're we're making it work. But yes, you absolutely have to be very intentful about uh, mm-hmm. when you get together and what then you shouldn't be staring at presentations Then you need to make it about human connection. And, uh, and that requires a lot of thinking. Um, so it's not because we don't really have a good model <laughs> uh, where we where we can learn from each other. So we, we're figuring it out. Yeah, we're working it out. And you're I, I understand intentional and it's worth investing in clearly. Oh. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right. All right. So thank you. A little digression. Uh, but as you said, yeah, we're we're here to talk about uh donor retention. Uh what uh well I I I think it's pretty widely known that we're doing quite poorly as a sector in donor retention. Uh it's seventy-five percent or so of one first time donors are are lost yeah. after after that first gift, which is abysmal i mean it's un- it, it, to me it's unsustainable I mean, unless unless you have an enormous acquisition pipeline which you're spending a lot of money on which is quite a bit more expensive than retaining uh it, it seems unsustainable but but it, but our I'll, I'll call it our donor mortality rate continues to be very bad yeah yeah it's um if this was a business <laughs> we would be yeah. out of business yeah. right um, I agree with you entirely. The, the statistics are a little paralyzing at times, I feel. And um, I would say, uh, and sometimes there's a lot of uh, sort of negative communication around that. There's some folks get, getting very stressful about it. I would say, in part, it's also down to uh, execution, right? Uh, so what I mean is if you see uh, your organization in one one half of the organization is about heart, is what you care about, what you're passionate about. But the other part of it is the the brain part is what you do need to run it as an organization. And what we are seeing a fair amount of in the small to mid-size, say from 250K to 25, up to 25 million, mm. that is it's 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 really not really approached and run like a business. You know, as a business, the moment you've acquired your first customer, this is the first donation, you you would fighting tooth for nail to retain that customer. We all, we all know that it's much cheaper to retain existing customers. So, so it's it's bizarre to see. But but then I started sort of digging in because uh, you know you get you get to uh you got to ask why. Well, why <laughs> why is it it's not that it's been 30% that it's 70%. Now it's been structurally like this for a very, very long time. You know that better than I do even. And so why, why is that? And 
we don't really have great answers, but for me, it comes down to a lack of establishment of emotional connection. I think that ultimately why most of us give is because there is a level of feeling associated with it. It's not a transaction for most people to donate, whether it's a small donation, or a bit. There's, a, there's, a, there's a feeling, whether it's a feeling to make yourself feel good or whether it's a, a altruistic ph philanthropy, what, whatever the feeling is, it's about feeling. And when you think about that, you, and then you ask yourself, say, okay, what am I doing to, to help that person get more connected to my organization? that's where it starts to unravel real quick. So capital campaigns are about transactions and numbers. Um, when we, and, and it's very knee jerky, you know, when we, when the numbers are row, low, we'll run a big campaign and it feels a little bit like a transactional approach. Well, thanks very much. Our course was to raise so many thousands. We did it. We did the goal, yay, celebration. But we're forgetting the basics. Let, let me give you one, which I found shocking statistic <laughs> you, and I experienced this. You think that saying thank you when somebody's donated would be pretty common practice, right? So I've just donated in whatever form and receiving some form of thank you. I'm not even talking about the most impactful way of doing it. I'm just talking about thank you in a way, an email, whatever. It, when you look at it, the statistics are, are pretty bad. So we 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 look at this because we, we work with our prospects and customers about how where can we improve some things. If I give you sort of an aggregate number, saying thank you within say the first two weeks of a donation happens in less than thirteen percent of cases. No, thirteen percent. What two weeks? It's supposed to be twenty four hours. Yeah. twenty four hours for a perfunctory. And then maybe there's a follow-up, you know, I like to see a follow-up call or handwritten note or something, but the perfunctory should be 24 hours. You're saying two weeks and it's fewer two than 13%? 13, 13, one, three. Yeah. And then if we lengthen the time to 30 days, at which point I don't even remember what I've done to Not be even... honest with you, but then that number goes up to 18%, one, eight. So it's, it's a crazy number if you think about... If you'd set that number up against 75% first time donor uh, retention rate issues, right? And you say, say, but we never say thank you. To me, rather than looking at really structural, societal, economic reasons for why things are the way they are, we should really start to look at are we doing absolutely everything we can to establish an emotional connection? And frankly, if you miss a thank you, yeah, yeah, it sort of feels like you, you've, you've, you've got a, you had a false start, right? Yeah. Um, no, you've, you've, you've blown the, you've blown the opportunity. If, if, if you're responding with a, a, even a perfunctory thank you, as I said, I like to see 24 hours, but within 48 hours, that, that you're going out to two weeks and it's only 13. percent And what, what is, what is that? I, I've never heard it that low, that awful. What, what is that based on? That. That's Bloomerang clients. Uh, yeah, we look at, and prospects. So we we we. Um, uh, I'll give. I gave you sort of an aggregate number. Some folks are much better at it than others, but you'd be surprised. Uh, 
it's certainly not in a it's never in the high 80 percent or something like that you'd be and there's always a reason right people say i didn't have whatever address or there's always some reason but there's also no reason because if you and i would be running a business there's always a way to say thank you to someone right so so it, it feels to me uh there's plenty of you know hurdles that we can keep up with i didn't have the right email address didn't have the right phone number or something happened i didn't do it whatever but it's structurally super bad and it's always it in is. the low single digit percentage across the board in fact we often uh, engage with prospects like that when we look at sort of uh, they might have an, a, other systems or other tactics and as they're looking for another system they want to also improve the processes right and we often do these sort of assessments where we um uh, that's what we do we actually make small donations on behalf of us and we sort of see we track yeah. what, hap what happens okay. and that's uh, that's how we get that information and uh if, you, if you're it, not responding within 24 hours i think it looks like you just don't care talk about grabbing someone from the heart first you know it, to to give them a feeling a, a warm feeling anything more than 24 hours looks like your gift doesn't really mean too much to us right Right. And 30 I, I, days, I, I, 30, you may as well not, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. To me, and after two weeks, you might not even bother. It's, you've already, you've already blown the relationship unless, I don't know, unless you call with a, uh, some kind of catastrophic story, uh, you know, which is not, not likely. Uh, I think you've that's blown, right. You've, you've blown the opportunity. Yeah, completely. And, and, and we often get uh, a little bit of setback when you sort of, look at it and say hey am i supposed to say thank you like do i what what does it matter if i say an automated email for instance as a thank you to everyone that's not very personal it's not very emotional and i i agree but if you'd start by saying thank you to your first time donors and have different means to engage with your retained donors that would be a good start you can't tell me that your experience you have so many first time donors that you can't deal with the volume like yeah. that that seems that seems like a that's a very high bar to achieve. That's not what we are seeing, right? So I think if you just narrow it down and say, just hit the notes. I had um, I wasn't I had a, a a charity rally where we had sort of a, a thing with old cars, and this was uh, to support a local uh, dog rescue, and uh, we did a bunch of things like uh, auctions and stuff like that, and we made a donation, and it was so amazing that the following day. Um, I got a voicemail, so they didn't get with me, but that voicemail was fantastic. It was just a voicemail from the executive director. It was just like, it was just a, a very nice, warm, I heard the voice. It made me feel super good. I thought I did the right thing. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and now there is an, you know, a, a typical newsletter that follows. And I actually read that newsletter now, right? Because I'm, I've got something there. Actually, I love that lady. I love how passionate she is about making sure that these dogs end up in the right homes and how deliberate she is about all of that. Um, and she's she's got me. Like they've got me. I, <laughs> I want to do more. And and I thought it was as simple as just dropping me in a, a voicemail. She didn't even try to call me. It was just a voicemail straight into my inbox. But because it was a voicemail and not an email, it was much more personal. And I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure that day, maybe from that event. Let's just be generous. Say that she had five or six new donors, right? New first-time donors. Is it really that hard to to send five thank yous? Um, I don't know. Yeah, seems like yeah. it's seems it, like it's doable. 
Now, you've, you've mentioned this dog rescue uh, a couple of times now, so why don't you shout them out properly? No, I can't. I can't because there's multiple. They, 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 oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> they, they... <laughs> All right. You're, a big, you're such a big dog lover, you can't shout out the organization. All right. All right. All right. Well, we know we have thanks for the opportunity, though, Tony. But I think I'm going to get it. Um, I'm going to get it wrong somewhere with someone. Okay. It's a very small town. All right. We know we have a dog lover. It's time for a break. Donorbox. Quote Donorbox text to give led to one of our more successful fundraising events, a concert. Sharing the keyword, short code, and scannable QR code made giving easy for our supporters. And they did give. That's from Josh Young, Executive Director of Hydrating Humanity. DonorBox, helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Now back to donor retention. So with automations, I mean, this you give a gift, you have to provide an email address and, and or a phone number so you can send them email or a text again this perfunctory you know within 24 hours i just don't see any reason why with with automations that are pretty standard right um, yeah. you should be able to send an immediate perfunctory yeah, it's not a technology thing. problem it's not yeah. a technology problem there are no technological yeah. hurdles here yeah. Uh, I mean, systems might be difficult to use and what have you, but you can. It's not rocket science. Once you've done it once, you can you can figure it out. The, I think the, you know what it's the way I think about it, which is fascinating. I think we have three big challenges that we need to think through. They're going to be pretty structural. We've got aging donors. We've got declining small donations. So from. Uh, gifts up to $100 and from $100 to $500 are down across the board. And we have a very hard time retaining first-time donors. Those are the three like big uh, themes, if you can call them that, or headwinds, whatever you want to call them, yeah. that we need to think through. Okay, these are going to be here for a while. How, how, do I, how do I respond to those, right? And the bizarre thing is that because we have aging donors, we need to think about our uh, our donors as a whole. We need to think about, okay, how do I tap into younger donors? How do I tap into, how do I broaden my connection to household and not have a singular donor within a household? So you need to think about that. And it's remarkable then that when we're presented with an opportunity to have a first-time donor, that we, we, we wouldn't be obsessed about retaining these donors in some way, either by, and if and if the friction is around the donation, I'd rather take a small recurring donation over a haphazard first-time donation. So there's a, a strategy too. So we have all the tools in place. It's just that it's almost like we are applying principles that we have, we, we've applied for years to today, but today, things are really starting to accelerate. So when we think of, don you know, frankly, dying donors uh, and not being part of estate plannings and such, we really need to think about tapping into different generationals. Now, that generation, uh, you have then you have other questions, which is, is email the best medium, et cetera, et cetera. But um, uh, there is an amazing opportunity there, in my opinion, to, to, to tap into because we are getting the first-time donors in we are getting them. So the, it's not like the next generation is not generous. It's quite the opposite, actually. 
the generation that we all uh, love to hate, <laughs> the Gen Zs and the millennials, are extraordinarily driven by impact and doing good for the world. They are probably one of the most in-tune generation. We're just not connecting with them. And uh, and their retention rates will continue to show what they're showing if yeah. we're applying these type of uh, methods here. So it's a, it's a I, fascinating I, I, challenge. I wonder if some of the problem with connecting with the millennials and Gen Z is that the leadership are baby boomers and they're not listening to their own millennial and Gen Z employees or the, or they're not even seeking the advice of those younger folks about how to how to connect the younger donors again emotionally I, I think I think if you start with the heart the brain follows so you had that heartfelt genuine sincere voicemail just a voicemail and it, it and it's drawn you in and that's so that's an example um they're so they're not they're not taking the advice and I think these boomers of which I'm one a young one a very a very 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 <laughs> Very, 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 very young boomer, but I am just barely uh, a baby boomer. You know, our, the generation is not taking the advice of younger folks, seeking the advice of younger folks about how to connect with younger folks, and that and that be, they are your future planned giving donors. Planned giving is what I do, fundraising, right. consulting, strictly in planned giving. So if you want to have that pipeline of long term, you know, the the ultimate. The ultimate gift for a lot of people is in their estate plan. If you want to benefit from that ultimate giving, you need to be treating these folks well from the from the jump, from that first twenty four hours that we're talking about, and and then beyond. I, you know, we've 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 broadened beyond the the, the initial thank you, but um, you know, that's I mean, that's a you know, again back to a business. I mean, that's how a business maintains a a pipeline of customers. Well, you know, you have we have to have a pipeline of prospects, right? Throughout the throughout the age spectrum, throughout on all the different ways of giving, monthly sustainers and major and people who give just once, uh, once a year, or, or give just to a particular program, just give around the gala. If if we're suffering an event like that, I don't want to get into the, <laughs> the difficulties of event major event fundraising, but. You know, we're we're just not we're not. You're right. We're not creating like thinking of it like a business, and we're not we're not treating our pipeline of prospects and donors appropriately. So yeah, you know what strikes me as um, a, a, because it, I can imagine that it's listen, it's hard. There's a million things to do. Your resource constraint. Um, uh, it's there's a there's high stress involved with fundraising, but there seem to be some opportunities to rather than try and figure it all out on your own, there's a, a dozens and dozens of millennials that want to do volunteer work. And instead of doing, letting them do volunteer work on your core nonprofit cause, why don't enlist them to help you with the communication using social media and just the, there's so many of these of, of that generation is so in tune with it. But what I'm seeing over and over again is we're recruiting them for you know, helping them with the local dog rescue. I had a conversation with them. I said, I noticed that one here, this is why I could, um, I've, I've been a very long time uh, a donor of. And they, what I noticed is, hey, I got all these lovely updates about dogs that need a home and placements, but I hardly ever see what happens after. 
And the real reason why, like why I care is I want to make sure that those dogs go to the right place. And I believe in your ability to do that. And that's why I, I, I'm prepared to sort of help out. But the story that I really want to see is a happy dog in a happy household, but I never see those stories. Yeah, as occasionally there's one in the newsletter, but you're placing like so many dogs. And and then the penny dropped, as we would say, is um, why don't we get some of the, there was a volunteer, like it was a, there was a girl that was sort of helping with the shelter and, you know, helping to take care of the dogs and getting them ready, uh, you know, making them look good for, uh, for these, uh, for the visits. And she was very, very skilled at social media. She was on Instagram. She was all on this book. And, it, and she sort of, well, now why don't we just get these new families to record a little short video on their iPhone mm. uh, after, you know, a couple of days in the home, like the first week, you know, the first week with Fluffy. <laughs> and it needs to be a very, like, badly shot video, not produced. It is what it is. Don't Doesn't care. matter. And then they said, well, what do we do with the video? You just give that video to me. <laughs> I'll take care of it, she said. And it was wonderful. And within a, honestly, within a week, I think, it turned into this whole thing that now they basically say, hey, as part of the placement of the dog, we need you to give us an update on how it's going. And that update is a simple little video. They send it to it that now goes onto the social page that gets connected to the newsletter, goes on the website. And now there's a whole different audience that they're tapping into and these dog stories are starting to do the rounds. Now, what did that cost? Not very much. Um, would a ba baby boomer be very good at executing that? Probably not, but you don't have to. Like you can use volunteers in different ways. They're, they're, you can use volunteers to help you with reach. And in fact, it might actually be more helpful because we, that generation probably connects better to their own than sort of a grumpy old boomer or young boomer uh telling yeah, oh, grumpy now you added grumpy that was not fair <laughs> that, i was affecting to myself <laughs> <laughs> all right well you take that on yourself fine i didn't think about grumpiness <laughs> you, you threw that in you tried all right yeah it, uh, just you know use the talent that you have whether it's volunteer it's on your team uh maybe it's a consultant you know what you're describing is, is sounds precious the the production value is meaningless yes it's it's the it's the substance and and you know they, they probably now you know or they they will soon have scores of these videos that they can repurpose on instagram TikTok, mastodon youtube uh their, their own site of course uh links in newsletters you know a 30 a, a compilation of uh you know 30 second videos or something it's and right. and, that, and that's the impact that that that's the impact that a lot of people want to see and and especially well donors really i think across the age spectrum are uh, much more cognizant of impact much more interested in impact but i i think younger folks are even more so um dennis let, let's talk some more about some tactics of drawing in making that emotional connection getting the heart and, and letting the brain follow. Yeah. Um, um, a, a couple of things um, on that. I think we, we as an industry rely very heavily on email. And I'm not so sure that's a great idea. Um, I think email is useful and helpful, but I don't know about your inbox, what that looks like. Um, 
mine looks pretty challenging. I've got a work one and I've got a private one. And I take a deep sigh in the morning when I have to sort of make weed my way through whatever, you know, irrelevant stuff. It starts with deleting a whole bunch of stuff and hopefully I haven't deleted too much. So email is challenging to get attention, number one. And two, it's actually not easy to make email uh, create sort of reinforce of establish an emotional connection because you have to be actually quite good quite good with wor- with words and that's a high bar i think um to to there are some science out there about how you should write i mean the tldr is just always write about these stories so the more of these stories you have to your point on impact the more you should do it but relying on email alone and then thinking that you have done it i think is a pretty big mistake um, I think you have, uh, I like email as a, uh, uh, you mentioned a couple of ideas of, uh, of things like a newsletter or an update. So something that we basically, uh, is periodic. Uh, so, Hey, we're here. This is what we've done. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, but I much prefer that folks, and we start to see that experiment with different media and, Voice, for instance, is still very much underutilized, so people are not really using voice. I, 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 there was actually an email that came in for someone that just recorded um, a blurb, like they had like a, it was like a Zoom, like we're doing now today, and they included that Zoom into it, but it was no video, it was just voice. And they were just telling, uh, there was an update of the month, but they said, we're going to try something different. We're gonna, I'm going to, so the executive director spoke on the Zoom, I thought that was nice. So, it was, so that was unusual. So I had a voice, I had them talk. There was a bit of a, a funny moment. So you can hear them laugh as they said that I, I had it plugged it in my AirPods as I was walking. So easy. I don't have to really, uh, you know, be concentrated on my, on my desk to read it all. So I thought it was a great, great way, uh, to use it. Video is still very underutilized. We all, uh, you know how it is. It's not that difficult anymore to, uh, to have the video. You can still use your email to send it. Um, and so I think when it comes to tactics that we have to be careful not to rely on one and just set it and forget it. Right. So you basically say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I am communicating with my donors. I'm sending them an email. I send a, 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 a newsletter every month. Uh, yeah. You know, is that the bar? Like, is that, what is the latest, what is the late, what have you tried? What other things have you tried? Do you know, what do they open it and read it? Do you, do do you have that? Because nowadays we know, right? We have a pretty good idea of uh, whether folks read it or not. And then what do you do with that information? Do you just continue sending stuff? The other question I have, so that's one thing. It's about the tactics is don't rely on a singular tactic. Just set some sort of a goal that every year or every quarter, of it, whatever is feasible, you try something new and see if it sticks. Just stick it and stay with it for a few months, but just try it. Try it. Um the other thing I would say is, as much as there's a reliance on uh, the medium, email, phone, video, whatever, there's also a reliance on uh, the recipient, which is who we're sending it to. What I find, there's a concept in business that's called single threading, um, which is uh, never referred to as a positive thing. It's a bad thing. Say again, thre- please. So, single? Single, single threading. Okay. So what, we, what, what it means is that you're basically, when you're trying to uh, connect with an account, with a prospect, it's usually a business. And 
when you're single-threaded in the account, it means that you're only speaking with one contact in, the, in that organization. Mm. And you know that a decision usually has to make with multiple people. And very often, even if there's a CEO, a CEO would want to make sure that her team is consulted, et cetera, et cetera. So, so whether these folks are making, whether others are making the decision or influences is irrelevant. It's very rare that one person calls all the shots. It's much more common that multiple people have to engage, be engaged, consulted, and informed. It's time for a break. Kila, increase donations and foster collaborative teamwork with Kila, the fundraiser CRM. Maximize your team's productivity and spend more time building strong connections with your donors through features that were built specifically for fundraisers. A fundraiser CRM goes beyond data management platform. It's designed with the unique needs of fundraisers in mind and aims to unify fundraising, communications, and donor management tools into one single source of truth. Visit Kila.co to sign up for a coming group demo and explore how to exceed your fundraising goals like never before. It's time for Tony's Take Two. Thanks, Kate. This week's show gets published on September 11th, the anniversary of the day that changed our country, changed the world profoundly. We all remember where we were. I was uh, an employee. It was the dark days of uh, employment for me at St. John's University in Queens, New York. And St. John's is up on a hill. We could see downtown Manhattan. So it was in a distance, but we could see it happening live. We were going between watching live and uh, for real and watching on TV, you know, more close up, of course. But Everybody's got their story of September 11th. And uh, I think we should just uh, use the anniversary as a, a time to remember, to keep in mind the victims, the immediate victims uh, this week, uh, and also uh, not only the ones who died that day, but those who are still dying from their service there and from exposures. Let's just remember those folks this week. That is Tony's Take Two. Kate? You reminded me of a saying I once heard. They're gone, but never forgotten. Yes, yes. Let's go back to donor retention with Dennis Foix. So you want to become multi-threaded to increase your odds of success. In my opinion, the same is true for a household. If you solely rely on the first contact that you ever had, that is the, the donor that has actually made the donation, but you know that they're part of, you might not even know that they're part of a household, and you're not making any efforts to deeper connect and create more contacts in that household organization, you're missing a big, big, big trick and a big opportunity. Because mm -hmm. I think that the more we can establish an emotional connection at the household level, the how higher the chances that things make sense as part of a state planning. This is a long drawn process, but being simply relying and only communicated to a singular donor, in my opinion, is a risky affair. 
And so doing events whereby partners or children are involved, do whatever you can. You obviously can't ask who else is in your household to give me their email addresses. Understand. But there's not, but you could make events deliberately and purposeful designed to bring the family together, to bring them all in, and then start to collect data as part of that event. Right. Uh, I don't see a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's consistent with your first ideas, not be singular channel, you know, be multi-channel, uh, be multi-thread within the, within the household. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I see that play out a lot uh, in events where the, there might be a couple there. Again, I do planned giving. So the events I'm going to are usually for older folks uh, not necessarily planned giving age, but planned giving prospect age. And there are a lot of couples, uh, whether married or partnered. And I see a lot of conversations with one person in, in the couple. Yeah. And it's, it's usually, it's usually the male in a, in a, in a traditional hetero couple. Um, and, and the, the female is, you know, largely ignored. But, you know, but whatever the couple dynamics, it's a mistake to just be talking to the one person because you, you, you want the support, you want the buy-in of, of, of the couple. Um, just, it just, it just makes things so much smoother. Uh, you, you reduce any contention around giving that might be playing out in, in the, in, in the home that you have no idea about, you know, so don't, don't talk to one person to the exclusion of the other person in, in the couple. Right. I, I, I see that a lot in, and, and I bet, in, in person events. Right. And that's, that's a mistake. That's a big mistake. And I bet Tony that it's, if you were to go back, even if they've spoken or connected in some way, I bet that if you go back and look at the database and say, let's say the foie household, and we had a nice conversation with me and my wife, that when you look back at the database, my wife's contact information is not in that database. Yeah, right, right. So because it's, again, none of these things happen with one conversation that like it's it's very rare. I mean, it's a magical when it happens, it's wonderful, but it's usually, it takes time. It takes repeated connections, interactions over a long period of time. And so the best chance we have is if we broaden our reach, but not just broadening our reach, we're tr constantly trying to find new people all the time to your point, this big funnel machine. But if we can expand within our existing donors, we absolutely improve our retention rates. And the reality is if you improve your retention rates by about sort of 10% or so, you triple the lifetime value over time, over your over your donor base. So it's, it's, it's it behooves upon all of us. How do you improve retention rates? Well, it's not just constantly talking to the same person and sending them more stuff that's 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 you know that that has a diminishing return so and i feel that we probably need to talk more in industry about it and share ideas or how others are doing it and talk more about these tactics because i feel that some of the uh some of the nonprofit organization that we talk to want to do it they they they're not afraid of experimenting but sometimes sort of lack the applicable ideas because the industry has started to become quite academic 
how we talk about things, you know, theoretical concepts and big numbers and scary numbers and frankly paralyzing numbers at times, like doesn't inspire me to act, right? And I think we maybe need to do a slightly better job as an industry. And I think you do that with your things like your your podcast where you get deeper into to things and just try ideas that I can sort of, you know, walk away with. Give me one or two ideas that I can do tomorrow. Then, and I can, at least I can sort of figure out whether it works or it might work for some, it won't work for others. But if you don't try, you don't know. And the reality is there's no one approach that will work for everyone, but relying on email alone and only talking to your donor is a guaranteed, guaranteed, uh, path that sets you to become part of the statistics. Yeah. That, because on, that's on, basically on the, how they've been built on the wrong end. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's shallow. It's, it's not a, it's not a heart. Uh, it's not a heart to heart connection. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm, as you were, as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, when, when you call, if, if the, if the non, the non primary donor answers, do you just ask for the donor <laughs> or do you say, oh, hello, you know, and wouldn't it be great if you could hearken back to the to when you had the conversation at the last event with that other the, the other person? Oh, it was such a pleasure to meet you, you know, or, or do you just say, you know, can I, oh, hi, can I speak to Dennis? You know, yeah. that, that that's that, that's that's a uh, it, it's a turnoff. It's perceived by by both people in the couple. Uh, it, it may not ever be spoken about, or, or even worse, it might be, but it, it's detrimental in either in, in either case. Um, it's just a you know, it's, it's fundamental respect for for people. Well, I agree, respect, but also um, sound business mind, right? If you want to, like, if if it's it's yeah, it, it's, it's 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 a good business practice. So there's there's the head and the heart that comes together. Uh, if you were to think that any time that you connect with someone, the donor, but you get somebody else on the phone as a prospecting opportunity, that might be the right mindset, you know, because you that's how you treat a new event when you when you, with those new families and new folks coming in, it'd be all mm -hmm. over those, right? To tell the story and why you started the uh, the organization. Uh, the same is true for this prospect with the big benefit that it's a warm prospect. It's not a cold prospect, right? Because there's the right connection. So if you think about how do I increase donation sizes, how do I become maybe part of recurring giving? Those are those are the situations where that happens, where both partners have an emotional connection with the cause and stimulate one another to say, hey, this is something we want, really want to support as a family. Now, that always leads to more sustained and higher donations um, versus it being one of the two partners that support it because it's their, uh, their charity of choice. Yeah. yeah. Other, other thoughts, uh, Dennis, about tactics that folks can at least experiment with? Um, yeah, well... So what if what has been pretty successful? This might be uh, a little sort of personal, but what has been successful here locally? Um, it, it, it was actually quite interesting. So we uh, there are these groups of uh, people that get together for hobbies. In our case, I'm part of a club that likes 
old cars so old people and old cars come together once in a while and they they do they take whatever excuse on there is to sort of drive these things and uh but we wanted to add a little bit of more depth to it so we started to um to seek out whether there were uh interesting nonprofit organizations around us that we could support somehow so to make these so we would basically say hey as part of this drive there's a cost to the drive and that this, this cost was basically fundraising so we would raise through these drivers a donation and we would then have a um have that money go to a uh a charity of choice right one that we would say hey this month we're going to supporting this what i found remarkable is that very few nonprofit organization had identified that a lot of these events were happening i've got a local tennis club there's a local there's a very very big car community here in carmel and monterey it's just a thing so everybody that lives here knows that but what i found staggering is that it was actually hard work for us to find we actually had to <laughs> seek out non-profit organizations and explain that we mm. wanted to do some events and then once we had that people were very generous and said oh we come over and speak we can say a few things about what we said we will do uh, and we would attach an auction a little auction or something around it to just make sure that these are affluent people so it, you know making donations is is a is, is not a high friction situation um, but what I found remarkable and a missed opportunity, which we're now making more available, is tap into these um, communities. So, you know, uh, there are in Indy, it's the same in Indianapolis. There's a lot of communities that have certain themes that folks that get together. A lot of them would very, be very happy supported co courses. And so what I'm seeing... Sure. What I'm not seeing Pardon me, but these are essentially giving circles. They are, yeah. And I, I, really I had the I had yeah. the evangelist for giving circles, Sarah Lomelin, on the show just within the past six weeks or so. Uh, so you know, whether it's a car club or a bunch of folks who meet once a month in someone's in rotating homes, or you know, or it's some other some other uh, organization that's willing to do fundraising and and granting. You're, you're essentially you're talking about giving circles in in your community 100 that's a wonderful way of of uh putting it and uh talk about building a funnel and building connection into into your community uh and they very often become repeat themes especially if there's an emotive connection with the individual if the executive director does a good job at presenting being there uh, telling the story yeah. of the organization uh, you know you i would say it's almost guaranteed there'll be some sort of successful so it's really worth doing but again it's about being proactive and seeking those out making an effort to actually find out what what is there around me uh that seems to me i was blown away uh it's now become a thing with us so every month there's something there's sometimes there's twice a month or something um, but what is also interesting is that most of us end up giving to the ones that we are really connected with, right? So there's the the event itself that produces us, but some of us actually get we had a we had a lady that um had a very traumatic situation with her husband and a child, and a child had a disease that was very difficult to cure and it sort of inspired her to create a, a organization or profit organization to help folks with 
um, with us in a similar situation. And she, when she told her story, I mo- most of us couldn't keep it together, to be honest. So it just becomes like a different level of connectivity and accountability. And so, so I no, no, I want to help here. This is crazy. There is no support from um, uh, healthcare. That this is sort of underrecognized. These people are all out, 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 out on their own. Actually, with a little bit of money, a lot can be done. So you start to connect the dots and say, what I can actually have a real impact here and help to make a situation better. I can fund if I can fund this lady, people's life will change. And when you get to that sort of level of this is where my money or time can go, and this is the impact I can achieve, I wouldn't, I, I mean, I've had a reluctant to say donor for life because we know that that's a difficult thing, but that's a level of connection that no email in the world, no phone in the world can, be, can hope to achieve. And so if you're not out there connecting with an audience like that, new circles, um, you're making it yourself very hard, I think, to find these people that are that are then spreading the word because I then talk to others about it. So mm. we know how that all works, right? So I would say those are still very underutilized ideas. So this the this idea of using multiple channels of communications, expanding within the families, sort of the multi-threading thing that we're talking mm. about, and exploring the circles rather than treating individuals as transactions. We have a lot of room for improvement when it comes about executing and doing good, better, best on those. And so in a way, the statistics that we talked about are not that surprising because frankly, if you'd run a business in the way we are running as an industry nonprofits, these are the statistics that you would get. It's like fast in, fast out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a classic the, bad business model. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. A boomerang wouldn't survive that way. No, 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 no. My board you, would swap me out real quick. <laughs> you had clients. You had clients for a year, and and seventy seven percent of them uh, stayed only that long. Uh, yeah, loyalty. You know, it's it's all it's all the heart, loyalty, connections, uh, speaking from the heart, respecting people. And then, yeah, you know, and and so I I speak kind of altruistically, or or maybe not academically, but altruistic uh, and uh, and lofty. And you know, you remind us that it's also all good business. It's all good business to to think of the partner as a as a as a prospect. Uh, to to have folks telling their own story in a, in a simple iPhone video with low production value from the home with dim lighting and and the sound is cutting out and the children are in the background but the you know but the but the newly placed dog uh pet is 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 barking wildly and and that's the you know that's the impact perfect that's perfect it's it's it's, that's the those are the moments that are sincere and genuine connect with our hearts and end up being good business yeah, I could not agree with you more. And um, that head and heart thing, we I think when we when our organizations get get larger, nonprofit organizations get larger, you you it's okay to think of a part of it as a business. It's okay actually because the more effective the organization becomes, the greater the impact 
you can achieve. Uh, at our company at Bloomerang, we we have often sort of struggled with that balance where you sort of say, well, do, is it all about growing revenues? Is that basically the, the mark of uh, success for us? Or how do we measure impact? But the reality is you should not put pit those two things against each other. Because if you could see uh, fundraising volume or revenue, you could see that as fuel. And you need fuel. We need fuel. So and you wouldn't, you wouldn't shortchange yourself or making sure like you feel really good. You've done this wonderful thing, but it doesn't, doesn't scale because it requires you to do it over and over. It can't scale. But now you're not putting fuel in that tank. And we, we have to have fuel because the more fuel we have, the greater the impact that we can achieve, the more resources. The problem is that we have in this, in this industry, it's difficult for us to attract and retain talent. So as much as we have a donor retention problem, look at the employee retention problem that we have in this industry. And if you, become more successful at creating scalable and repeatable initiatives, which you're experimenting, you're trying things, you're making these emotional connections, we can attract high quality people into the organization that can sort of sustain and increase that momentum. So I I often, when we talk about this, it feels like, yeah, but you can't run a nonprofit organization like a business. And I said, well, why not? Um, why not? Um, you know, if you, I, at some point, I'd like to work in an organization like this, but you better believe it that I be, I'm going to be very intense in the work. I'm not going to sort of be relaxed because I work in a nonprofit. Because I'm going to be super intense if we're wasting money or if we are not following up on things or something goes out that is a, a little bit half baked and it's not a high standard. Like why? Why wouldn't those things apply? Isn't that what makes things better? Like striving to better standards, doing something, trying something different, growing as an organization. So I think we have to be destigmatize the the brain part uh, in this industry and say that it's okay to pursue growing as an organization because that growth allows to achieve far greater impact and that individual the starting organization ever thought was imaginable. So we, growth has to be part of an object of the objective of the organization. Dennis Foix, I'd like to leave it there. Thank you, Tony. And I, I, I uncategorically agree with you about perceiving our organizations as businesses. Uh, I, 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 I'd take it a step further and say I think it's essential. We don't, we don't lose our heart. We don't lose our mission. The two are not mutually exclusive. We, we can we can pursue our missions and our values as well as think of ourselves as a business. That's that's not zero sum. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Dennis Foy, F O I S. He's CEO of Bloomerang. You'll find Dennis on LinkedIn. You'll find the company at bloomerang.co. Dennis, thank you very much for sharing your thinking. I appreciate it. Huge thanks for the opportunity, Tony. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Thank you. Next week, Donor Dominance with Ian McQuillan. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by DonorBox outdated donation forms blocking your supporters' generosity? DonorBox. Fast, 
flexible, and friendly fundraising forms for your nonprofit, DonorBox.org. I love that alliteration. And by Kila. Grow revenue, engage donors, and increase efficiency with Kila, the fundraiser's CRM. Visit Kila.co to join the thousands of fundraisers using Kila to exceed their goals. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. I'm your associate producer, Kate Marnetti. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy, and this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with us next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs>